Hello, this is Maya Feller, and today we'll be mapping eating from our roots on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Maya Feller. Maya Feller, MS, RD, CDN of Brooklyn-based Maya Feller Nutrition is a registered dietitian nutritionist who is a nationally recognized nutrition expert. In her practice, she provides medical nutrition therapy for the management of and risk reduction of non-communicable diseases. Whether addressing the nation or working one-on-one and with groups, Maya believes in providing nutrition education from an anti-biased, patient-centered, culturally sensitive approach. Maya is dedicated to promoting nutrition education that helps the public to make informed food choices that support health and longevity. Maya shares her approachable, real food-based solutions to millions of people through regular speaking engagements, writing in local and national publications, via her social media account, and as a national nutrition expert on Good Morning America, GMA3, What You Need to Know, and more. She is the author of the Southern Comfort Food Diabetes Cookbook, and her next book, Eating from Our Roots, 80-plus healthy home-cooked favorites from cultures around the world, will release this month. Maya, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm thrilled to have you here, and congrats on the new book. Oh, Andrea, thank you so much for having me. I, too, am thrilled to be here. So we're talking about eating from our roots, and I'd love to dive into what this means, particularly as it relates to health and health outcomes. Yeah. So, you know, my forthcoming book is entitled Eating from Our Roots. And when I wrote this book, I was really thinking about how to get back to number one, this kind of really slow interaction with food, how to be intentional about being in the kitchen, how to be mindful of the foods that we're putting into our pots, onto our plates, and then into our bodies and then how to modify those foods so that they meet a person's desired health outcome. So if they're experiencing metabolic imbalance or if there's some type of chronic inflammation, how they can make choices and modification with those foods to really support them on kind of like a base cellular level. 
I love some of the words you're using, Maya. Slow, intentional, mindful modifications, right? This is really where we don't feel like we're on a diet, right? Where we can support our body's function and yet feed our taste buds. And I feel like you're doing that and then some by bringing us back to our roots. Absolutely. I mean, I love what you just said, right? Like to feed our taste buds. You know, oftentimes what I found when working with people, you know, we use this word sustainability, meaning like what can we do that supports your kind of nutritional pattern or nutrition journey in the long run, right? It's a marathon. And what I found with my patients is when it is far too restrictive, they actually don't look forward to eating. I mean, they're actually less likely to engage in eating nourishing foods. And then they come back to me because there's another challenge that they've encountered because they said, you know what? I was too restricted and it wasn't beneficial in terms of my health outcome or whatever it was that they were desiring. And then they said, I just actually didn't even eat. I often work with you know people and I'm thinking, well, what can we add? And how can we get you in that phase of nourishment, right? Like get, because a lot of people, they skip meals, right? Especially like, you know, a lot of people that we work with, we live in a society where it's kind of par for the course. You work through lunch, right? You may have a breakfast on the go. Dinner is kind of an afterthought. So there's a lot of like surprise around food. And then when we take away, take away, take away, and the flavor sometimes isn't as wonderful as people want. We're not using herbs and spices, which are incredibly antioxidant rich, as you know, we're missing out. Yeah. And it's that restricted eating that not only leads to nutrient deficiencies and we can't heal in the state of nutrient deficiencies, but it also triggers a lot of those mental and mindset issues that are connected to our histories, to dieting, to all of that restriction that then I feel like further compound our relationships with food as a not healing source. Absolutely. It was so interesting. I was reading an article the other day about toxic stress and that when people, you know, experience toxic stress, especially toxic stress that's chronic, we tend to see these higher rates of inflammatory conditions, higher rates of metabolic dysfunction, and really systemic imbalance. And it's something that I think about a lot in relation to people not having access to foods that are culturally relevant for themselves, right? What does that do in terms of contributing to that toxic stress? Much of it is like environmental, situational, about, you know, socioeconomics. But there is a component of nourishment, right? That is, yes, food we put into our body, you know, gives ourselves information. But there's also that emotional nourishment. And when we're cut off from that, it's really hard to say that this is something that's actually giving them pleasure. And so I often with people, I'm thinking about, okay, well, what does that look like for you? And what are those foods that are culturally relevant? And what are those foods that are supporting your desired health outcomes? You know, there was a time when like plantains were a no-no. Now everybody loves them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
There was a time when avocados were a no-no. Again, now everyone loves them. There was a time when quinoa was like unknown. Now it is, you know, received its health halo. I feel like actually, you know, Fonio's on its way there. I hope that people get to know Fonio, a wonderful ancient grain that's incredibly nutrient rich. But there is this thing about having to fit your pattern of eating into something that is so foreign to you that also adds a level of, well, you know, I don't know that I really want to engage in this. And so I hope that with like, you know, eating from our roots and really having that kind of open dialogue with food that we actually get to a place where we're like, hmm, I look forward to nourishing meals. Yes. And healing protocols too, even. I mean, I'm thinking about when my father-in-law was alive and he was having digestive issues and he's half Japanese, half Hawaiian. And I brought in foods that were familiar to him that actually made him laugh because they reminded him of his childhood, whether it was umabashi to get the digestive juices flowing and kimchi. And he was so delighted that I was giving him resolutions and ideas that weren't from, you know, my idea. They were incorporating his ancestral and childhood cultural foods. Oh, I love that. And you know, it's so interesting that you say that. There are so many food combinations and pairings, and especially as I've talked to people from around the globe, that naturally enhance particular mechanisms. You know, in parts of the Caribbean where people use sea moss. Well, sea moss can be blended into drinks wonderfully, and it's actually a fantastic form of prebiotic fiber that supports detoxification pathways while enhancing the microbiome and the you know diversity of colonic bacteria. Now, I'm sure that, you know, go back 150, 200, 300, 400 years, people were just saying, it's really good for you. And we see that when we engage in having this in the morning as a part of whatever, you know, drink mixture we're having, then we have a better day. I really just love this because I, I mean, even when we talk about probiotic foods, I always love the saying cultures didn't exist without cultured food, right? So people were doing things that were naturally, quote unquote, healthy and beneficial without all the science or even dogma behind it. It just was part of the way people survived. Oh, 100%. I think about like when I travel through the Caribbean and you go to like a roadside stand and it's funny, they say this like now as an adult, you're given an option between yard fowl or fowl from the grocery store if you eat animal proteins and you want to buy chicken. When I go, I always say yard fowl because I know it's only grass and seeds, right? And the chicken from the grocery store I'm kind of like, no, I'll take the yard file. Thank you. That's what it used to be, right? That was the only option. With industrialization, things have changed. You know, there are many more people on the earth, so there's that. But we have stepped away from this real kind of personalized interaction with the things that show up on our plate. And I feel like, you know, we can take a step toward it 
by really being mindful about the things that we bring into our homes, right? So like, you know, what are the plants that we're consuming? How do we make sure that there's a variety of these plants? If we're eating animal proteins, where are we getting them? Do we get to know our farmer? And of course, I always have to say, I understand that, you know, there's structures in place that make it impossible for some people to enter into this discussion. However, for those that can, I absolutely encourage doing it. Yeah, I think one of the other things that this is making me think about, Maya, is how as practitioners, we impose our notions of what's healthy on our clients' patients, audience, and how can we actually translate what we're recommending and bringing in to be more culturally appropriate for the person or people we're speaking to? Absolutely. I mean, when we think about, you know, culture, I always like to remind everyone that culture is a mixture of those social norms that any given group agrees upon, right? That's the social code. So we all have culture. Many times when we think of culture, it only gets assigned to groups that are from racial and ethnic minorities. When in fact, there is a very big culture in this country around what is wellness, also kind of what is food that is quote unquote socially acceptable. And so when we're talking about foods that are culturally relevant, I always have to bring in this conversation of, well, it really depends on who's sitting in front of you, where they live, what they have access to, a lot of the beliefs and values, right? And also kind of what their quote unquote bandwidth is, because so many people can live in marginalized communities that have been kind of systemically pushed, you know, to the sides. And they can say, I would love to sit down to a meal of, you know, slow cooked greens and some beans, and it may or may not be possible. And so that could be culturally relevant for one person where another person is like, actually, you know, what I really want is like a multi-seed cracker with, you know, a piece of almost raw seafood and something that's been pickled, you know, but that's also part of the role for us as the providers is to figure out what's relevant and also what supports, you know, kind of these desired health outcomes. Talk to me a little bit more about the book and how you hope it will be used or inspire both patients or lay people and practitioners to think differently about what quote unquote healthy means. Yeah. So I know that, you know, there are going to be people that are going to read the book and they're going to say, whoa, how could this be a healthy recipe? And when I talk about balance in the absence of disease, all right, everything is on the table. When I talk about balance in the presence of disease, everything is on the table in relationship to whatever the diagnosis is. And so I feel like as providers, part of getting to learn about other cultures, part of, you know, expanding our palate is being willing to try different flavors. We don't need to eat it every single day. It doesn't even have to be the center of our pattern of eating. However, we have to be willing to experience a culture that's not our own so that we can actually work from this lens of cultural humility and improve our fluency around culture. 
So beautifully said, Maya. And I think, you know, diversity in our diet is such a great way to get our nutrient needs met. And my way of saying what you just said is that the diet should be as vast as it can possibly be given the person's circumstances at that moment, which also may change. And I think people are pretty resistant to change in either direction because of fears both ways. And what you're introducing us to is a diversity of flavors that come from a diversity of ingredients. That's exactly right. And the thing that I have learned, you know, I collaborated with a number of chefs on some of the recipes to really get to these flavors. Because as a dietitian, let's be honest, and I say this, like, there was a lot of kind of rhetoric around food that I had to unlearn. You know, I never cook with sugar, fat, or salt. And if I do use a fat, it is, you know, avocado oil or olive oil. And that's part of the training that I received. So I had to unlearn some of that and also realize that there is an artful incorporation of those things, right? And that there is space for them when we're mindful and intentional as an enhancer. The challenges with our standard kind of pattern of eating, especially in the U.S., those things are kind of, you know, they overtake the meal. And so we lose the ability to actually taste foods in their own right. Like even seafood in this country, you know, like people don't eat seafood, not at the rates that, you know, we would think. And when people interact with animal proteins, there are a lot of things that have been added to them. And so what I hope with this book is that as we play with some of those additives, we're also using spices and herbs that are incredibly nutrient rich as another enhancement to the dish, but we're also letting the plants that are on the plate really shine. Is there a favorite herb, spice, flavor that you stumbled upon during this process that's now become a staple in your household? That's so funny. So um, I have a chef friend who I asked a really similar question to, and she's like, that's like asking me to name something. <laughs> or I asked her about like her favorite kitchen utensil. And she's like, which child of yours do you love the most? And I was like, right. No, I love them equally. Um, so, you know, there are flavors that have come into my kitchen, like Vaduvan, curry, togarashi, those two are new. I fell in love with black orfa chilies during a lot of the recipe testing. I actually changed some of my cooking techniques where I used to start with a warm pan and now I start with a cold pan. And then I actually put, you know, some of my base ingredients in and then the fat on top. I mean, you know, there are all these things that kind of in the process I learned and I've taken parts of it. I've learned to finish a dish with like literally a sprinkle of salt and you cannot believe how far that goes in terms of increasing the palatability and quantity of vegetables that are consumed. Yeah. Amazing. Maya, is there anything else you wish we knew that you learned along the way or that you just want to put in our hands, especially as practitioners, for thinking differently about eating from our roots? Absolutely. 
One of the things that I learned during this process was about the utilization of the entirety of whatever it was that I was cooking with. And as providers, we often make recommendations to, I want you to have beet greens, or I want you to eat the beet root. I want you to have carrots. You know, we rarely say, I want you to have the carrot tops. But I want us to think about all of these plants and the nutrients that are in the various parts of it in relation to how we're working with our patients. And the same way that we try to incorporate kind of, you know, these parts of life and thinking about, you know, how to reduce stress or how to improve digestion. I want us to think about the entire plant, right? And if we're working with people who eat animal proteins, thinking about the entire animal, right? Because there's nutrients in all of it. And also the reduction of waste is really important for increasing the diversity of what we consume. Brilliant. I'm so inspired, Maya, and I'm really excited to get my hands on the book and try all the different flavors. It's one of my favorite things to do on the weekend to really experiment with different culinary traditions. Thank you for all you do and for reshaping the way we think about healthy. Oh, Andrea, thank you so much for having me. It has been an utmost pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.